July of 2023 about an important thing to remember. An important thing to remember. Let's talk for a minute about these verses. At the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. That feast of dedication we know today as Hanukkah, and it's about 165 years, it was established about 165 years uh, before Jesus came to the earth. So at that feast, Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Now the colonnade of Solomon would have been outside actually connected to the temple and it would have had a roof over it, a long narrow hallway and it was a place where in the summertime folks would go to get shade and in the wintertime they would typically go to stay out of the rain. Jesus, I was reading um, a, a, a book about the colony at one point and it would have said that Jesus would have gone there often because he would have always found an audience to preach to. Um, I don't know if Jesus needed to go anywhere to find an audience, but that is what they said. And it says that while he was there, these Jews gathered around him and they had a question. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, sometimes it's hard to read what's really being said in Bible verses. But this, more than a question, this is a demand. They're come to Jesus, and they're saying, we're tired of fooling around. We just want to get down to brass tacks. We need to know, are you who we're looking for, or do we need to look somewhere else? Stop keeping us in suspense, and just say it straight out and right out. Say something that will either move us to commit to your cause 100% or give us the signal plainly that you're not who we're looking for and we can just walk away from this. And Jesus' answer is this. I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not amongst my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now stop for a minute and understand those last few verses. Jesus is talking about his followers as sheep. And one of the things he says about the character of his sheep are, number one, that they're obedient to him. They listen to what he has to say, but also they recognize who he is. He is the shepherd. And not only that, they have, a, uh, if you would, a sort of allegiance to him. Not just have they subscribed to his teachings, but they have committed themselves to him. And Jesus says in that process, there's something for them as well. They're, they're going to have eternal life. They'll never perish, and they'll have protection over them. Uh, all of the resources that I have to offer, and of course Jesus was God come in the flesh, are given to those who are followers of his. No one, he says, can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. The gift that the Father, through Jesus, gives to his followers is to be called sheep. And he assures them that their future is set, that, that they cannot be taken from his hand. 
And there, there's a few things in this passage that I just want to stop for a minute and think about, particularly at this verse. I want you to notice that Jesus is talking here about a relationship that he has with his father. Uh, he has said a number of things leading up to this that we didn't read. He said things like this, just as I know the fa- just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And the whole time he's talking about his relationship with his Father, one of love, one of sacrifice. And he says to them in answer to their question, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do, however, in my Father's name, those are the very witness to you about who I am. He says, just take a look at what I've done. And by this time in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus has done a number of things. In the next chapter, he's going to raise Lazarus' life. But he has done enough up to this point that any good logical person would look at it. And you're going to say, well, Joel, we're talking about spiritual things here. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a good logical person would look at what Jesus, and they just have to come to the conclusion that there is something simply incredibly special about this man. And you'd also notice that in this relationship that Jesus has with his father, he, he said this before, I told you and you don't believe, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. One of the things he's saying there is, is that the works that I do are my father's business. The people I heal, the people that I protect, the people that I help, that's all being about my father's business. In other words, he is testifying or witnessing to who he is by what he does. It's kind of like, you remember when he uh, is a little boy and he stays behind and his parents come back and say, well, you didn't know you stayed behind. Where have you been? And he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Jesus, right out of the gate in this relationship with his father, is doing the things that his father would do. And then he closes up this whole series of verses with this very simple one, and it's really the one that I've been driving to this morning. He says, I and my Father are one. Now, you may have missed this in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, but there was a story that came out this week, and it has to do with Reese's, pumpkin-shaped Reese's, and football helmet-shaped Reese's. There's a lady, Reese Cups, there's a lady in Hillsborough County, Florida, who has filed a lawsuit against the the Hershey Company. And she's upset because when she went through the grocery line, there was a bag of Reese's Reese Cups at Halloween, like you see there. Just a couple of months ago, three months ago, both. And you look and you see those Reese Cups, right? If you look at that picture, I can't see it on my screen. It is on your screen, right? You will notice that on that Reese Cup pumpkin, there's a jack-o'-lantern face, right? And similarly, on the football Reese Cups, there was on the cover or the candy wrapper a carving out of the strings that would be on a football. And the reason she is upset is because she spent $4.49 on a bag of Reese Cups to get them home to find out that they are, in fact, in the shape of a pumpkin. 
they do not have the carved-out jack-o'-lantern face on them. And so she has filed a lawsuit in federal court for, get this, $5 million. Now, you or I would have walked back, right, and we'd have said, I want my jack-o'-lantern face on my Reese cups. Give me my money back. And the guy would have, manager would have given us the money back and then talked about us all day. But she wants $5 million. Now, why am I telling you this story? Stay with me. Have you noticed how divided we are in America right now? Have we noticed, have you noticed that if somebody just says the wrong thing, even the right thing, the wrong way to some people, that we're going to have an argument? I mean, it used to be it just happened at Thanksgiving when you got together and you talked about politics, but now, I mean, you could be out in public not even bothering somebody, and somebody's going to get upset with you. Have you noticed that? Well, let me tell you just a few things that crossed my mind on this last Sunday of 2023. We are a Christian church, an American Christian church, in an American city, headed into 2024. You know what's going to happen next year? You're going to get your chance to vote. It's a presidential election year. And you know what I've observed across almost 40 years of preaching? I observed that in election years, when the society is digging at each other politically, it can flow into the church. Did you know that? I have also observed there's actually an uptick in the number of pastors that leave in an election year the church they're at to go to another one. I've observed that. It's a scientifically provable fact in the Isahal Conference that that occurs. Now, just so you know, I'm at the point where I don't care. <laughs> but I do care about the church. And friends, we need to be sure that we aren't being nitpickers about the jack-o'-lantern on the face of our Reese cups. We think that politics gets us government. It's politics in government that messes us up. We think it's politics out there, but we forget that politics happen in here, and we get all mixed up. We think it's politics on the TV, and we don't realize that it's actually sometimes politics and our families. And we don't have a poll to prove it to us, but sometimes we find ourselves pretty much as divided as we can be. When I graduated seminary the first time around, which was in the late 80s, that's not right, the early 90s, um, there was a guy who spoke at our uh, graduation, whatever we called that, convocation, whatever, and his name uh, was Charles Munson. Charles Munson at the time was a professor at Ashland, and he had to have been pushing 89, 90 years of age at the time. I had just taken a course from him that year on ministry with older people. But he was the speaker at our graduation. And in about 1990, 91 or so, he stands up and he has a box. And the title of his message to us as we graduated was this. This is not a box. And he had titled it after the print that was on this cardboard box. As he held the box up before us, 
he had gotten this somewhere, and on the side of the box was printed clearly, this is not a box. And yet, if you looked at it, you knew very clearly that it was a box. Why did the box maker put on the box, this is not a box? You know why? They were afraid somebody would put something in it. They'd fall at the bottom and smash their toes, and they'd get sued for providing a faulty box. The lawyers put that on there. Now, church, the reason I'm telling you this is because people sue over the temperature of their coffee. People get upset about the jack-o'-lantern missing on their Reese cup. And people get upset because a box is a box. We can really get into arguments about some of the most foolish things. I want you, on this last Sunday in 2023, to look at something that Jesus said. In fact, he prayed it. And I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you, but I am going to read it to you, just a portion of it. John 17, verses 21 to 23. He's praying to his Father, and I want you to look at what he says. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they might be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. I want you to stop and understand that Jesus is praying for us. And as Jesus prays for us, he says he wants us to be one, as he and his Father are one, and he gives us a reason that the world may believe that you sent me. Now back there in the passage we started out with today, those Jews came to Jesus at that colonnade, and they said to him, just tell us plainly, and he says, I've been laying it out as straight as I could. Haven't you seen what I've done? Haven't you looked at the miracles that have been performed? You don't believe because you don't want to believe. You're not of my sheep. Jesus says to you and me, church, and, and he, ends that, he ends that conversation, remember, with these words, I and my Father are one. The biggest witness Jesus had of all was his unity with the Father. There was no argument. There was no discussion. They were one in purpose. They were one in what they were about, not only their character, but what they were going to do, their vision, their way of seeing the future. God and Jesus were one. And Jesus prays for us as a church that we would be one. And why would he want that to be? To answer the question, who are we? So that they may believe that you sent me. The reason Jesus wants it is not so, <clears throat> let me stop and just say to you, you know, usually when the preacher starts talking about money, we all know there's a money problem. When the preacher starts talking about unity in the church, we know there's a division problem. Church, I am not trying to give you today anything that I want to tell you because I see something going on. This today is an inoculation. This today is a prophetic warning, if you would. It's the preacher telling you that we are doing well.
to keep our eye on the ball. Jesus says, well, I want my followers to be one. Why did he want that? So I could get my way and you just listen and follow like dumb sheep? No. So you could get your way and I would just follow you like a dumb sheep? No. So that the world may believe. So that they might see in the church the unity that exists between God the Father and God the Son. That the world might see the glory that was given to Jesus in us so that you and I, like God and God the Father, and us in him could be perfectly one so that we could really be what Christ has called the church to be. You know, in the early church, in the book of Acts chapter 4, the early church is just getting started, and there's this verse. I'm just going to read a single verse to you on this, and it says this, Acts 4.32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Go read the book of Acts. The church just grows exponentially. People are being saved all over the place. Folks are coming to Christ all over the place. How could that be? I'll tell you how. It's because they weren't worried about arguing about the color of the curtains. They weren't worried about arguing about the kids doing whatever the kids are doing now. They weren't worried about arguing about the way that Debbie looked at them cross-eyed. Or they weren't worried about looking at the way that whoever looked at somebody the wrong way. They were one in heart one in soul. They were headed in the same direction. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, so we, so many, are one body in Christ, and yet we are individually members of each other. Church, if we could begin to see that, that I am weak in some areas, and Mike's strong in some areas, that, that Kristen is weak in some area, that Gary's strong in another area, and that we are all one body, members of each other. We could strengthen the weak places, pick up and do for those that can't, carry on in one spirit with the love of Jesus in our community. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he wanted there to be no division in the body, that the members would have the same care for each other. One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member's honored, they all rejoice together. He says, now you're all members of the body of Christ, and you're members of it individually. You're a part of the body of Jesus. You're a part of the Westbrook Park Church. When you hurt, I hurt. When you rejoice, I rejoice. And it should work both directions, and it should work across the board. That's the reason Paul said, to the church at Galatia. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's not male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And finally, church, I'll just give you this passage, and then I'll bring you to the bottom line. In 1 Peter, Peter said this, All of you should have the same unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, a humble mind. We should all have that tender, that tender heart, that brotherly and sisterly love that exists in the body of Christ. That unity, that unity not only of the spirit but of the mind. That you not only can be a blessing but you can obtain a blessing. What's my bottom line today? 
as Christ and his Father are one, Christ and the church are one. You and I, what did Jesus pray for? That we would be one with each other as he is with the Father, and they'd know we are Christians by our love. You know, today is a sad day. It's a sad day because, and many of you don't even know this, and some of you will be mad that I brought it up. Five years ago, we had a big bad time in this church, five years to this day, that you're here. You're here, and we that are here are here because Jesus is more important than my individual preferences or yours. We are here because we are not at Joel's church or at Bill's church. We are at Christ's church. And we don't come to worship a pastor and we don't come to worship some individual. We come to worship him together. I went to see the movie The Boys in the Boat. Anybody here seen that, The Boys in the Boat? We went to see that movie. You're not going to get a chance. It's going to be gone soon. actually read the book. But um, 1936, the Olympics, Jesse Owens, that whole time here. The boys in the boat were a rowing team uh, from Washington State University. They were actually the junior varsity rowing team. It should have been the varsity team, but these guys became that good. And they became so good that they became the Olympic team that went to represent the United States in the Olympics. And they, it's a wonderful story. They actually, at the final heat uh, at the Olympics in 1936, with Hitler in attendance, they get a late start. Can you believe it? They couldn't hear uh, the signal to go, so they get a late start. But they start rowing, and these eight guys in this boat are just rowing and rowing and rowing. They're, they're, they're eight guys in a boat, and they're rowing that boat, and they just get by Germany in a photo finish. It's just a great, tremendous story. One of the lines from the movie that I heard was this. Uh, one of the main characters, a guy named Joe. And the coach says to Joe these words, Joe, when you really start trusting those other boys, you'll feel a power at work within you that's far beyond anything you've ever imagined. Sometimes you'll feel like you rode right off the planet and you're among the stars. I love that line. When you learn to trust the other people in the boat, that's when it's going to take off. Westbrook Park, when we are one to the point that we trust the others in the boat, oh, is God going to do something great here? But the movie ends like this. Joe is now an old man, and he's sitting on a dock watching his seven or eight-year-old grandson rowing by himself in a competition boat. And a speedboat comes down the water and shoves that little boat up on the shore. And he goes and gets his grandson. And they pull the boat up onto the dock. And they start to walk back to Joe's house. And as they're walking, the grandson says, Grandpa, do you think someday I could be on a rowing team? And Joe says, well, it takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication to do that. Grandpa, did, did you like rowing an eight-man boat? with a team or a one-man boat by yourself. And Grandpa stops. He turns and looks at his grandson, and he says, we were never eight. We were one. I love that. Church, Jesus calls us to be one. 
He calls us by his love. He said, I and my father are one. And he prayed that we would be one, even as he and his father are one, one with each other and one with him. I want to tell you how that starts. It starts with saying to him, I will submit to you. You know why a lot of us cannot submit to God? Because we never learn to submit to our parents or to our teacher or to whoever. And you say, Joel, that's a real big generalization. No, you stay with me. If you can't learn to submit to somebody around you that you can reach out and touch, you'll never learn how to submit to God who you can't see. But once you learn, in a place like a church, in a place like this, that we're all going together, we're enjoying the trip, getting used to each other because we're the family we're going to spend eternity with, sometimes it gets pretty easy to just submit to each other. And hopefully somewhere along the way, we look up. And what we see when we look up is a God who's calling us to submit to him. And when we do that, I believe that oneness takes place in its fullness. We can truly be not 20 or 30 or whatever it might be on a given Sunday, but one in him. And that's what Christ calls us to. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us. Would you join me in singing?